I think we were trying to break it down too hard. <laughs> you <laughs> ever been out there trying to break it down you too ever hard? Broke it down like way too hard. Did you ever do a double backflip, backspin? I've definitely done a double backflip, but double gainer, nah. Did people ever call? I remember there was break dancing, and then there was this crew at my junior high school, and they were not break dancers, but they were housers. No. Girl, do you house? Oh, no. We didn't have house. We just straight. I'm sure they just went straight to rave. And I don't know what. <laughs> or that, candy kids. I couldn't really pick up on the difference between What's a house break dancer. Break, dig, break, dink, 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 dink. Jungle dancers. Podcast too. is going real good today. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the question to me that people are probably going to tr- want to know is it's like we learn over. Uh, 20 years or so all of the shit that we put into building this company like how do we learn it where do we where do we start even unpacking that right in the first place we well you've heard some like very few stories of like things we disliked about work and that's how we started and then what what's next we like we're in coffee like what are we doing in coffee did like, did you and I in coffee have a clue? When did we think it was going to be our career? I thought right away. You thought right away. I thought right away. Okay. I mean, if you're listening to our podcasts, um, the podcast where I talk about the first coffee job I ever had and right. uh, Jared almost died on the freeway. Mm-hmm. Go look it up. 4 p.m. in the afternoon. 4 p.m. in the afternoon. Right. Go, go click on that thing. Sometime after I got that first job... I became so enamored with everything that was going on that I wanted to dive into the culture as much as possible. And I did really weird shit to be a part of this culture because I didn't know what else to do. For example, one of the things that you could do is you could hang around the BGA, Barista Guild of America. They had a web forum at the time. So you would go in the web forum, and then there was a members section of the web forum that was just for people who are BGA members only. And I was like, I want to be a BGA member. I'm a barista. I'm really into coffee. I wonder what this means. So what it means is at the time you pay some ridiculously small amount, right? probably like 20 or 40 bucks a year, send them some information, where you work at, blah, blah, blah. And they sent you back like a literal laminated card the card. Yeah. Yeah. That's got your name on it, your member number. And then you get a packet of stuff where you get access to, to the forum. You're on the guild. I'm on the guild. Right. I'm a You're guild. somebody. I'm a card carrying member. Come fuck with me, dude. I'm a pro. This basically bonafide. I was straight up and I had still, if you looked at the first, blog that I ever wrote, which I don't even know how to get a hold of it now, but I started writing about coffee shortly after I started working in coffee mm-hmm. just because I was trying to figure it out and it was a place to collect my thoughts and share things. And my little avatar, the little picture of me was me in some sort of hat with my SCAA shirt. Cause got I, it. I can't remember if I got the SCAA shirt by signing up for the baristas guild if that came in the packet or if i went on the web store and i was like i need to get a specialty coffee association of america t-shirt because i'm gonna be about this and i didn't know what having a career meant like i think Mm. at the time i saw people that i saw in the videos or on the magazines like 
Fung Tran or Billy Wilson or DeFerio was in the uh-huh. you know the ABC School Latte Art video, and I was like, those guys have a career in coffee. Kyle Larson, right? Kyle Larson, One of the originals was the trainer at Stumptown. You know. I don't know when he worked there, but this is early 2000s. Sure. And on one of my first trips down to Portland when I worked at Ritual, I remember seeing him outside of the Belmont Cafe where the annex was. And he was basically standing outside smoking a cigarette. And I asked him what he was doing. He said he's did a training in the morning. He's got a few hours and then he's got another training later in the afternoon. And I remember thinking that is the fucking coolest job that I could ever think of. If I could have that job, right. I would be the happiest person on earth. I would be the most lucky barista ever. This dude's got it made. He does exactly what I want to do. He's a professional in coffee. Mm-hmm. He spends his time teaching other passionate people about what he learned, and he gets to work for a cool company. It's done. There's, right. there's nothing else to do. And I'd seen kind of glimpses of this world since I started, and that's that was really attractive to me. Mm. I don't know what that meant. And again, at this time, I'm not thinking of what it means to make a living. Right. I'm also living in Modesto where everything's insanely cheap. I was going to say you can make it right. It's not a big deal. You know, you could buy a house there for any amount of money. No, no questions asked. We were paying rent. I don't even know how much I was probably paying a few hundred bucks of rent. Like we had a house with two fifty with three people. Yeah, Yeah. I was probably paying 300 bucks tops. Yeah. Absolutely. In a pretty cool neighborhood downtown, all things considered. And that was what I saw was, I was like, oh man, this could really be a right. thing. So even in, indefinitely, right? Yeah. I was yeah. like, it's, it's interesting as your career progresses, because I always had a little bit of a forward vision, but when you don't know what you don't know, it's easy for you to kind of set your tap out rate really, really low. Right. Like looking at myself now, well, first of all, I never imagined that I would be anywhere near 40 years old. It just didn't even fucking make sense at the right. time. So there's no way to think of, you know, is a 40 year old version of Chris going to be happy showing up in the morning, doing two espresso trainings, taking a lunch break and then doing it again, regardless of how cool the company is. Right. Well, that's, I mean, that's pretty far. That's, that's pretty extreme foresight for most, at least relatively young people to think, what am I about when I'm 40? And, and it's a lot maybe do these days when they didn't, when we were growing up, that wasn't what you it think of. It was not as common for people in our era. No. We were just, unless you were doing the college thing to be the doctor or the lawyer, like when that, that's what my thing was. If you're growing up and you're thinking that far ahead, it's because you're either following your parents' footsteps and they're putting you through college to be something specific or Actually, that's pretty much it. Or you're supposed to go to college to be something specific that you decided already. Yeah. So that's where I was. I was in college. I was going to be a history teacher. And the coffee thing just started to unravel. And I was really curious. But right away, I was thinking, I think I could make something of this. I don't know what it means. So the only thing that I knew for sure, which still applies no matter what you're trying to do, is, okay, I don't know shit but I know I have to show up. Mm-hmm. I have to be where things are happening while they're happening. And when I'm where those things are happening, doing that stuff, I need to present well, mm. not in like a fake, like make up some weird personality, but I want to be a contributor. A so presence, yeah. I want to be a presence. Yeah. And 
I knew somehow innately that like you have to do that mm. in order to make a career out of something. You got to right. be where stuff's happening and you got to make some sort of a splash or some sort of contribution. Mm. And that was, that was what was on my mind. Right. And that was the, that was what I started to take out yeah, into the world. It's interesting. Cause the progression is, I think maybe something to start unpacking here and maybe it takes a few episodes or whatever, but I was less specific and I think that's because the world I came out of was so much survival mode because we had just like when I actually got into specialty coffee I mean my dad doesn't like our space doesn't count so my dad opened a little specialty foods place I guess it's not true we used Delano's coffee and that was like the intro to it when we when we opened we used Delano's then we moved on to Delano's plus this place called has beans because it had white coffee all that to say though I was like, okay, my dad's got this spot and that's potentially what we're going to do if it's successful. And I thought it would be, it wasn't long. So long story short, like didn't work bankrupt. I went away to school for a minute, came back, uh, homeless with the family and then got this job again in coffee. And it was a similar mindset where I needed a job because I needed a job. I didn't want to live at home, which there wasn't really one that we went through, like living in this hotel for a little bit when my dad's house got built in paradise and my mom was jumping around they were in the middle of divorce whole thing but I was like okay you have to just get a job that is sustainable that feels like you're worth something so I'd gone from like also the movie theater and all these places were and jack-in-the-box I'd worked in those places and I was like I want to feel like a better what well, this is totally unfair to say by the way this is just how I felt like a more a more accepted person in society and coffee is kind of cool it gave me like a leg what I felt like was a leg up, a leg of interest to people of in the world because coffee was barista culture wasn't very much a thing. And then on top of that, you're right, like a job where you could make tips and make coffee, which I was interested in because my dad was too. So there was like this common thing of like, okay, my dad will be proud of me a bit. I like this thing. I can make enough money to pay some good rent and people will think I'm cool. But and also I'll, I'll be able to get on well because to truth be told, like if you ever get to, which was way out of the, like not certain to ever happen at the time. But if you can get to 15 bucks an hour in Chico, you can do yourself fairly well for a long time. Maybe even today you could do pretty well at that wage, which is awesome and crazy. So that was kind of where I started. And the progression has been really interesting because like I said, I was kind of in survival mode that whole time. What you and I did have in common is that I knew to be a presence somewhere always. And that's, I guess I'm really lucky to be like the class clown sports guy in that way. Cause a lot of my insecurities came from why I became the class clown and I like sports. So that was the other reason I was good at those two things, but I wasn't good at school. And so I was always like a little bit on the outskirts in skirts. That was like the guy who everybody thought was really cool, but it was almost like, he's really cool. I hope he the joke really was like, this guy's not going to be anything when he grows up, but he's like a really great guy and we all love him. And he knows everybody and like takes good care of you. Like he's got a, such a good heart. I hope he makes it hundred <laughs> percent. That's what oh. a lot of people thought about me. God bless Jared. Huh? Yeah. Like one of those, like, Oh, bless <laughs> his heart. He's tries so hard. Um, and so anyways, I had a lot to prove and that was kind of where that went. And then I started showing up though. And, and I was able to be a presence and like bring people together, which when you're in school, that doesn't really matter. People like you because you can do that. But there's something that starts happening further on down the line. And when you're in a service job, 
people started coming because I was there and then I had value to the organization and I didn't even then know what that meant, but there is gifting that certain people have by being a presence that making, that make places attractive, that make people want to be around you. And so at the end of the day, like I, I knew that I was supposed to be there and I was enjoying it, but I was hitting these ceilings and that was actually when I started weirdly having like panic attacks. Cause I think that was it. I like knew I needed to do something else, but I was in this town and I didn't know where to go. And it all just the happenstance work where my, my girlfriend at the time was moving away and, and I was like, well, I have nothing to do. And that was when Colby was like, we're going to go start this thing called Verve in about a year. Are you down? You were in build out. We'll probably open like whenever. And I was like, yeah, that's like right when my girlfriend's going to leave. And I just knew it was like, that's the next thing to do. And I can do, I can do this coffee thing. Cause this is post getting last place and knowing like I believed in myself and the ability to get to the level that I saw. So I was like, okay, I can get really good at this. I can deliver this experience that I know people will follow in this new city. Let's go do that. Cause that's the beginning of a career and that'll make a difference. But career is like such a loose term. When Were you're you young. thinking about it like that? Were you thinking about, okay, I'm moving to Santa Cruz. This is going to be a long term thing. I w I did. So that, yes. Yeah, so I'm like, so I'm so like a, a believer in like things line up and like when it's not all the time, but when there's certain decisions that were supposed to happen in my life, it was like when the time came, I knew like snap of the fingers, this is the move. And there's certain times when that's happened in my life. This was one of them I was like, do that, leave town where you're going to know nobody. You don't even know these dudes you're opening it with very well. Go do that. And I did for sure think I'm going to start this business. We're going to become the baller business. And I'm going to be a part of it from ground level. And we're going to like, that's going to set me up to be like a baller here. And I fully believe that. And I fully was like, we're, I'm going to be the, like one of the reasons that this company is famous. And like, I'm going to be famous in coffee and like somebody like in the world, whatever that means when you're young. But that's like where I felt like I'm going to earn my place in society where all of my friends are going to become doctors and lawyers and be all these badasses that everybody looks up to. I'm going to earn my way by doing this to where they'll accept me, which is like the insecure approach to it. But that was my approach. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's anything incredibly insecure about that. You're kind of speaking on things that a lot of people feel. Oh, which absolutely. Is, everybody's looking for a place. Yes. Right. Everybody, totally. everybody needs somewhere where they can be an expert and they can feel good about their contribution. And that is a, that is a superhuman That's thing. That's human for sure. And it feels probably strange sometimes to talk about because when we were kids, nobody talked about that shit. Like no one expressed that to me ever. No. It was more growing up was more functional. Mm -hmm. It was you go in, you go to school, you get a job, and then out pops this productive member of society. Mm -hmm. And that was the goal. The goal was to basically not be broke, be able to provide for you and yourself. And anything else is just extra bonus right. sprinkles. All this idea of... Oh man, a place where I can, I can really shine, you know? And that was where my mom and I, we did not jive mm -hmm. because her version of success was so deeply seated in societal norms of that time. So when I told her that I was leaving school to go make coffee, right? Like I'm moving and I'm going to go make coffee. She was like, you're out of your fucking mind. She's like, you're, right. gonna, you're wasting your brain is what she 
basically told me. Mm. And my mom is one of my biggest supporters ever. Like she's got my back to no end. She's mm-hmm. done so much for us. But on this particular thing, she was like, this is the wrong decision. Right. Like you have the mind to do whatever you want. And I was like, I agree with you. Mm. And this is what I want to do. And it's really hard for me to explain why. Right. But it feels right. Yeah. And same reasons as you like finding that sense of place, a place where I could take some ownership and also the newness of it was really intriguing to me. There's something boring about, I mean, two things. One, I looked at myself in the mirror when I was going to school because I'd always thought, I was like, okay, cool. I love learning about things that have happened and like figuring out the context for history. Right. And you know, when you go to kind of job fairs or what do you want to be when you grew up, they present this list of things. It's probably 30 careers long. Like this is all there is. And the internet's not as prevalent. So I was like, cool. I really like history. I really like sharing information. I will be a history teacher. Mm. It just makes sense. I teach high school somewhere along the lines, like senior year of college. I was like, let's be real. I'm never fucking going to teach high school. Right. I mean, I could, I will fucking hate every day of my life yeah it's just not gonna be good for me and i don't know i'm also even though i have the brain for it i'm not going to college for four eight years to get a doctorate or a master's in something i like i could do research would be fun but that would be the kind of level that i want to like to be at in Mm -hmm. order to make it fun i wouldn't want to be nothing against high school classroom teachers is not gonna feed my soul everybody's different right so I'm like, this coffee thing it feels interesting. It kind of feels like the Wild West. It feels like it's just mm-hmm. being built right now. It feels like a good time to get in, and it's exciting. Right. And I'm in my early 20s, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so whatever. So whatever. Let's, let's figure this out. The Cat and Cloud Podcast is sponsored by Steeped Coffee. Steeped Coffee combines specialty craft coffee into a single serving bag. It's delicious coffee wherever you are. You don't need a machine. There's no mess. All you have to do is add hot water. Each steep pack is individually sealed and nitrogen flushed so it stays fresh and it's got a unique immersion filter that's ultrasonic sealed, which means it's sealed together with no glue, no staple, so there's nothing between you and your coffee experience. Steeped is a benefit B Corp. They ethically source all their coffee. Their packaging is fully compostable and they believe that business should be done without compromise. You can get your hands on steeped coffee at steepedcoffee.com. We'll have a link in the show notes for sure. You can ask your local retail stores to start carrying steeped or have your favorite roaster reach out and get in touch. If you want steeped stuff full of cat and cloud goodness, you can snag that in our retail stores here in Santa Cruz and on our website worldwide. Basically, Steeped is doing their best to change the coffee industry and make your life more convenient with their pre-portion, pre-ground innovation. That was that was where where everything started and then things just kind of stacked. But while things were stacking, there's the the building blocks of cool showing up and figuring out how to invest in yourself in your own way mm-hmm. whatever ways those are for you so for me we talked about me geeking out on espresso machines and stuff that was right. one way or i did it and then i went geeky i went geeky all kinds of ways so i bought like one of those fluke thermometers it's oh, like right. a really fancy <laughs> right. it looks like something a pg and e tech well, would i mean have. don't you test like you know, literal electric 
Yeah, you put different probes in it. So I was like, okay, I got my fluke. And at the time, I mean, this is like a couple hundred bucks. Oh, yeah. Like a big purchase for me at the time. I was like, damn, I'm going to spend 300 bucks on a thermometer. That's crazy. And then what? I bought a SCASE device. And if. Oh, that's actually what I remember. Yeah. And if you don't know what a SCASE device is, a SCASE device is basically a temperature probe that's fed through a blind portafilter. And the portafilter has this squishy resistance pad and a restrictor that goes through it. Right. So when you put the portafilter in a group head and turn it on, it offers about the same resistance as a tamped puck of coffee mm-hmm. when you're putting nine bars through it. So right. the the flow rate is about the same. There's a little temperature probe in there, and then that probe feeds through and you plug it in to the scase right. or to the fluke. So you got this really fancy thermometer and some weird portafilter that reads like group head temperature and i'm just doing all of these things this is what i'm spending all my money on right instead of going out and partying or doing whatever which is a good well, indicator that you are following some sort of path that is serious right i'm just right. like i care enough to buy this thing i don't know what it means right i don't even really know if i can use it because i work at the shop where we don't have machines with pids they're not really temperature mm-hmm. control i'm just more curious right because back in the day you would read if you ever worked on a heat exchanger machine, they would talk about what they call temperature surfing, mm-hmm. where you're basically drawing water that's being heated by the steam boiler. So when you first start the shot, it's really, really, really hot, basically boiling, and then it cools throughout the brewing cycle. Mm-hmm. So you would do your surfing, temperature surfing, which is like, okay, cool. I know when I'm brewing a shot, I want to purge for right. three seconds, put it in, do this, and then this is like the recovery time I want in between. So I'm like, I'm going to figure out how to get, you know, perfect brew water temperature. We talk about um, this the, in early competition years. It'd be like, yeah, I'm going to purge for three seconds. Exactly. And this is the temperature and this is what my coffee's going to taste the best. hundred percent. This is the precision coffee competitions used to have on next level, which is kind of a trip to think about because uh, maybe it's because I'm so far removed that I haven't heard people talk like that for a long time, but we were getting into, Oh, you purge for three seconds. I'm purging at five because my coffee is like roasted like this. And this is the brew water temperature that I want. Yeah. And we're checking these things on these fancy devices. And that's what we did. So all I'm saying is I'm making these investments in myself and you're making different investments, but Mm -hmm. in the same way, because there's some reason that the people you were working for asked you to go with them Mm -hmm. because they could have easily just been, Hey, we're opening this thing. You stay here, have fun in Chico. We're going to be over here in Santa Cruz. Right. So whatever you were doing was sending that signal that's, hey, maybe in some ways I'm an incredibly loose cannon. But, oh, I was. Absolutely. But I'm above and beyond in certain areas. And it's because I, I cared about And flavor. I care a lot. I cared about the flavor, the presentation. So I was like very hyper-focused on the culinary side and what happens to make it the best I can. And... Whatever that was, was a, and then my service was really good. My hospitality was fun and good, and, and people cared, and they wanted to be around, and I made people feel good. And that's partially performing. That's partially who I am and my gifting. But absolutely, that was the case, is that I would serve Colby before he bought the place, hit the best soy caps at the time he had ever had. Oh, he's a unquote. soy boy, he huh? Was a, he was a soy cap guy at the time. There you go. And And that was the thing. And then I also was willing to do it, and we talked about, Gosh, I don't know if we talked about it specifically in that 4 p.m. in the afternoon, but the person that I worked for uh, prior to Colby buying it, 
that person realized I was a yes person and I'd figure I'd go help with roasting. I'd go help in the restaurant or like the sister company. And I would, I'd show up and try to be better than everybody else there. Cause one, I had something to prove. And two, I actually am just positively competitive. Like it's, a, it was a twofer in that way, right? Like there was scarcity mindset in me and then there was literal, I do want to be the best. And it's funny cause I, I still to this day have that in terms of weird things. Like I always want, like if somebody's coffee, if I drink it and I like their coffee better than ours, I'm always bummed. And that is literally not because I dislike or like anybody more about or not. It's like an internal competition. I'm like, I always want whatever coffee I have coming out of our company to be better than any coffee that I drink from anybody else's. It's literally impossible, by the way, to do that. But that's just like the internal dialogue that I always and I, I'm proud of that. I like pushing myself to have that level. Yeah, of course. But it's fun. Not everybody has that, I don't think. But I'm always like, dang it, they had a better one than we I would argue that most or maybe they're professionals not do. Oh, that's true. And actually. most business owners for sure do. I guess business owners have it for the. Oh gosh. Yeah, it just that's, another, that's a good conversation because I think there's the there's the kind who want it for. Like I want it just because I want to be amazing because I actually don't care about other people being successful. And then I hear what I heard you say there is the business owners who are like. You know, like there's too much competition. You can't learn or do what we mm. do. And that's, but I know they're different things and yeah. that's not what you meant. But I, I was that's thinking what I more triggered. of like, if you own something, you want to be insanely proud of the thing Absolutely. that you own. And the same thing if you're a professional, it's, why would you want someone else's coffee to taste better? Not because you hate them or want them to be down. Like everyone can shine together, but you, you know. Yeah. You want to look at someone and be like, yeah, you're drinking my coffee. That's it's really good, huh? Yeah. It's really good. Yeah, I'm actually so really proud. excited about coffee. Like, Do you genuinely. like it? I love yeah, it. That's yeah, my okay, shit. Cool. That, yeah. This is what I'm And that's, I think, what, with. one of the things that made me realize I should be in this industry of coffee because I love to consider, like I still, today, we consistently working on roasting and tasting and coffee flavor development because it's just, I love it. It's interesting, infinitely interesting to me, and it never won't be. And so that was something that I feel like I get connected to. And then we go to, it's like all these, these layers start happening. And, and then I remember opening Verve and people would do this thing where it's like, oh, another coffee company. And that in the back of my mind planted this seed that I've always thought about and, and why people, whenever you leave, I guess this is other business owners. And this is not to speak actually to the owners of Verve at the time by any means. It's not what it is, but other places and other businesses I'd hear other people leave to go open a shop and this and that. And they would, they'd be really mad about people trying to progress and do their own thing. There'd be this whole idea of like, Oh, but there's this and there's that, whether it was about them or not, it felt like there's this competition. Like there's not enough for everybody out there. And I remember always thinking like, who in the world is going to be mad at somebody who's just going to go out there and try to do their best version of something. And that was, that's always kind of stuck with me. And I know you and I, in our own way, talked about that, but it's like, you could open a coffee shop, cafe, restaurant, any business within a proximity of another one. And it shouldn't actually matter because your experience shouldn't be a replica of theirs anyway. And so that was always something too, is like, how can we express, how can I express myself in this industry mm. in, in a way too? And so I started finding that that was a possibility through all these years and that was also like a motivating factor in sticking in the industry. It's like, oh, I can actually affect it and express myself and find this thing that isn't quite being found and, and sought, whether it's quality, style of delivery of whatever, cafe experience, whatever it is. I have a, I'm becoming 
clear on what it would be like to serve that. And that is a really interesting thing to pursue. The, and the longer I was in, the more I felt like I could do it. So I'm putting, I'm there's putting, a lot to there. I'm putting common threads together, which yeah, are thread those things. Um, sense of place. Absolutely. Investing in yourself. Right. Believing in and seeing a bigger picture. And becoming more self-aware, I think, which is a little bit different than investing in yourself. Self-aware meaning like this is really what I'm about. I'm doing this because I really want to do this, not mm. I'm doing this because what started out to be like I need to find my place and prove that I'm somebody. It's changing into like owning your gifts, which is is, is a little bit right. slightly different. Yeah. I think intentionality is maybe the That's common the thread in those things. Mm-hmm. Or it's if, you're, if you want to make a run out of something, you can't just call it in. Absolutely. There's, there's no, there's no way. And I think, yeah, those are things that got the ball rolling for me. Right. And then the thing that took it to the next level for me was having an advocate, having, mm-hmm. I don't know if I call it a mentor because I don't think I've ever had an actual mentor, but multiple people who around the same time started showing up and just, actually had my back Mm. and that felt really refreshing and Mm -hmm. was really i don't know it was fucking weird Mm. i just never experienced anything like that before right so tony serrano who was one of the first really crazy coffee people i met and i met him when i was working at the first shop that i worked in in modesto and i was working one day and this Dude walks in and immediately I'm like, this motherfucker is not from here. He looked just like way too slick, like way too, like so much like swag in the way he walks and his shades and his, I don't know, the whole kit. He oh, was just you know like, Tony. That's he him. was like fully dialed in. I was like, who is this motherfucker? Yeah. And he walks up and he asked to, you know, to talk to the manager. And I was like, oh, the manager's not here. He's like, oh, they play it like that, huh? <laughs> And I was like, he's just shooting right away. I was like, yeah, I guess. I don't know. You know? And then he starts talking to me about coffee and he starts talking to me about latte art and he's already way over my head. And I'm like, I'm kind of learning that shit. I don't really know what you're talking about. I don't really know where this conversation's going. So he leaves his card and he dips out and he kind of becomes this repeat customer and he gets to know me as the dude who's taking it seriously. Mm -hmm. And then he starts feeding me this stuff. And I I use this language because if you know, Tony, Tony's a talker and it's one of his gifts. And he's probably one of the most entertaining people that you can ever come across. It's just, your energy is like really, really on the next level when you're with him. So he's talking all this game about how he's going to open up the shop. He's going to do this thing. And, He's going to do this stuff. And I was like, dude, this sounds awesome. Like whatever. So he rolls in one day and he's like, Hey, I'm going to go, we're going to the Bay area. I'm going to find, I'm going to find the roaster. Who's going to roast the coffee for this new shop. And I was like, dude, that's tight. I was like, let me know what happens. You want to go with me? And I was like, yeah, I guess I was so scared. You know, he's older than me. He's way cooler than me. He's got energy too. He lived in the cities from all these different places, and I'm just small town dude. I was right. like, I don't know what's happening, man, but I guess I'll get in the car with you. Yeah. I guess he's like, cool. 
meet me here. We'll, we're leaving at eight or whatever. I was like, oh my God, what the fuck am I doing? So we get in the car and this trip is starting to introduce me to all this. This is before the competition. Right. Barely before the competition. And we go to Ritual right when they first opened. Mm -hmm. We went to Eaton's Place, Organica. Mm -hmm. We went to Blue Bottle, Linden Street, which was the only Blue Bottle that happened at the time. And then on the way back in, we went through San Jose and went to Barefoot. Mm. And Barefoot at the time was completely different than what it is now. It was a one shop owned by Andy Newbaum, who ran this really amazing, like, I want to say, I want to call them a ragtag team of really amazing baristas. And I say ragtag because they were just the most eclectic, interesting group of people. Totally. They all had their own personalities. They were all a crew, but you wouldn't look at them and be like, oh, they're all friends with each other. Right. They're all doing their own thing. Which and is they, testament to Andy, honestly. They were just on, they were in yeah. their own zone. And we stopped by there and the coffee was really good and we had kind of briefly talked to Andy just really really casually and we left and I was like that was cool and Andy turned into this person who for some reason probably because at first Tony talked me up a lot mm. He's like, hey, we're opening this place. Chris is going to be my barista. And I'm at the time, I'm like, I never fucking said I was going to work for you. I said I'm like pretty excited about what you're doing, but that's tight. And the competition where we met was coming out, my first competition. So Andy was like, hey, you're going to use our coffee at this new shop. Why don't you come use our coffee at the competition? Why don't you come practice with the crew? And I was like, practice with a crew. He's like, yeah, we do run throughs and you know, you can do your performance. And I was just like, oh fuck. I don't know what I got myself into. Right this in. is so terrible. And Tony's just like pumped. He's like, yeah, dude, this is going to be awesome. And I was like, oh my God. So I'm trying to make the signature drink, working on the whole thing. And I'm just, you know, these people I think are pros yeah. and I'm the newest kid by far. I mean, you're definitely surrounded by at the time, like, some, oh, some good people. Super good. Like really good people. That's, that's Eugenio like a is a bona fide yeah, rock exactly. star. Rock star barista. Holy if you saw trifecta. her make coffee, I was like, woo, you're in the game, girl. Right. Killing it. So I show up and Andy's just super nice. He's introduced me to everyone. I'm a little socially awkward. Mm -hmm. And he was just like, yeah, here, you know, okay, cool. We're going to do it like this. So they're going to go first. You're going to judge. Here's the score sheet. Here's how you read it. Um, do this right here. It's zero to six. Quick calibration. He's being really kind to me. I'm yeah, like, you're getting wow. pulled right into the scene. I got pulled right I mean, in. You're not leaving after that. And I was just totally, you know, fake it till you make it kind of zone. I mean, I could make espresso, but these people were on another level. Right. But he was just so, so nice. Right. And he gave me, you know, we did the whole thing. Those are probably stories in and of itself, but... Sent me away with like 15 pounds of coffee, which to me at the time was so much. He's like, mm -hmm. let me know if you need more before the competition and we'll get you fresh coffee. You know, when you get, to, when you get to Petaluma, we'll have a few bags waiting for you. You're going to use Redwood, right? That's what you said. I I'm like, that. yeah, I did say that. And yeah. he's like, cool. Yeah, we got it. I'll write it down in the notes. And those two people, that shop never materialized that I ended up, you know, never working. Right. At. Like, 
Um, but Andy for the whole thing was just like this really supportive dude. And mm. I remember after that competition, I was like, I'm going to go to USBC. I got the spark. He's like, we got your coffee, dude. It's all good. And that was just this wave of people who, for whatever reason, started to show up for me. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call Colby or Ryan for sure mentors for me as well, but they were in my corner because they were figuring it out too, right? But what Colby was so amazing at is he was amazing at seeing potential. And then what Colby was also really good at is, is kind of like going places and figuring out stuff. So whether he could do it or not, he was... I think that's actually a really cool gift that when I was younger, I didn't appreciate as much as he knew I could do stuff that he couldn't do because he hadn't practiced like I had. Right. Like he wasn't a barista prior, but he knew what good was. And so what he would do is he would he, he took me under his wing and exposed me to things. Right. So Ryan was the coffee geek. Colby was the up and coming coffee geek. Ryan knew stuff. Colby was learning stuff. Colby knew quality. Colby was ready to travel to do. So Colby's like, we're going to get into priest competitions. We're going to do these things. And he's bringing me with, and that's that in his own right is like, it's like uh, co-mentoring. I would call it right. It's, it's saying this person, Jared has got this thing that I believe can help me in this place, go places. And his gifting is special for it. And I'm going to make sure that he can find these things. Right. He used to call me the golden child. And, what I think he realized through working with me for a long time, which is what happens to everybody is how human and how kind of lucky or like how, how my intuition or my just natural weirdness worked in ways that he thought was more intentional when I was younger than it was. So I would know how to perform or do things. And I was able to adapt and learn so quickly that I think people for a long time, totally thought I knew exactly what I was doing when I never knew what I was doing. And that, that I think was ultimately like my ticket. And then also why there was like a, a point where the, the relationship didn't work the same way anymore. Cause it was like, Oh, I'm not really sure this kid knows what he's doing. He once told me that he thought you could learn French in a day. Yeah. Like, and so like, that's the kind of belief he had in me. And it is because of my straight up my weird ass ADHD superpowers. Like, that back when you could text with one hand for real, like you can memorize the keyboard on the T9 or whatever it was, mm-hmm. I could have a legit conversation with him while, and I would retain what he was talking to me about while I was like responding to my mom or my girlfriend or whatever. And he's like, are you texting at the same time? So like, that's like Michelangelo shit. And I'm like, I don't like, he was so cultured and so ahead of the game in terms of what he knew and understood. And it's almost like, he knew that he needed certain people to get that going. And that is an amazing artist, visionary in and of it himself. And so that's what he would do. And then he connected with Ryan. Oh, this guy is the coffee geek. He's going to roast the coffee this way. And, and so that's where I kind of would pick things up. And, and that was where, you know, it's like, thank you, Colby. You brought me along. You paid for barista competitions. You, you found what we thought was amazing coffee that turned out to be crappy, crappy coffee. And the next year we're like, okay, connect with, um, connect with Andrew Barnett so we can get, Deterra Brazilian coffee so we can step our game up a little bit. Oh, there's, there's Tom from sweet Maria's. And, and it was just all of these things. I, I got so little prior to that, any kind of mentorship or learning at all that I got to hear and be around and, and by proximity, proximity alert, 
Proximulate, you're close to power. Ultimate ballers. We're back. <laughs> Legacy ballers. Get on the train. <laughs> I, I got to see and learn and pay attention to things, and that, I guess, is probably and always has been my superpower is the ability to learn quickly and pay attention and see what works and doesn't, and they got to put me in those places to do so, and that was it over and over again. I mean, my, my main real supporters, Colby was like the ultimate supporter for life, but like my other supporters were the ones back home who were like, oh, he's going out to do it. My girlfriend at the time, but Afton Love, uh, Mike Drake, all these people from Chico, Mark Roselle, who had like kind of come up. They were the ones who were like really in my corner, like, oh, this guy's going to do something. And they were the ones I think who, and Colby too, actually, who like actually believed it more so than, for sure more so than I did. I was always just like, well, I guess I'm the, per- I'm the guy. I'm going to go do the things best I can. Uh, And I just, I think it's really interesting how we were all so in such learning phases, like went to Portland. I remember going to Portland and going to the annex at Stumptown and prior to like thinking about how coffee tasted, like that's what Ryan would do is he'd like dissect the coffee flavors. And he came out with some Colombian coffee. So tastes like minestrone soup. Oh man, this is like minestrone soup. And I'm like, what are you talking about? This coffee. And he hands it to me and tastes it. I'm like, Oh, I kind of get that savory thing. I don't really get the soupy taste. He's like, can't you taste it? And I'm like, I kind of taste coffee, but, and so like, that was kind of Ryan's beginning of his implants on me was flavors and like putting together blends, whether or not I ended up agreeing with how it worked. He, that was like his thing and roasting and, throwing me on i mean they used to have to dude my energy was so intense for them they throw me on the sample roaster for like eight hours a day when there was nothing to do you're like a hyperactive child yeah like keep them busy yeah and it was like that and i totally thought i was like really helping (laughs) and really they were just like what's up captain cinnamon (laughs) like roasting too light and they taught me how to log the roast you know like minute by minute and how it's going to kind of like log the curve weird little things like that but yeah all that to say it was like both it was symbiotic right they needed me because i was comfortable in the service setting and i was able to deliver this thing that neither of them were terribly confident in themselves at the same time like they were managing this absolute wreck of a kid as they found out and they didn't know prior because they didn't have to spend all that time with me when i worked part-time at the naked lounge then i go to full-time at verve and they're like whoa this kid is not been parented that's for sure (laughs) and he's trying to never had to really live on his own for real uh and so you know shout out shout out to both of you for just kind of like allowing me to come with and be in those places and and in your own way like utilizing me to help and be the front person who's willing to go make an ass of themselves in the pursuit of betterment (laughs) it was so fun that's so fucking sick so funny i mean it's a big deal to vote for someone because absolutely i hadn't had a lot of other people vote for me no so having even someone like tony show up and be like you want to go on this trip like well i don't know why you're asking me right i have no idea why i now looking back on it i can obviously see why sure i was obviously interested in coffee I was taking it seriously and I had really rad, I was doing awesome service. Right. So it's like, of course, if I'm trying to build a team out of this limited pool, I'm going to pick this dude. I mean, the guy's got a fucking skase device and a $300 thermometer. Like, yeah, he's, this dude's in the game. Like, right. I want to build a team with this guy. There's nobody else around, but those things, I don't know. That shit just meant so much. Dude, Tony. Tone you, you would not believe the shit that that motherfucker did, dude. <laughs> I so wouldn't. at some point, 
I can't remember if it was right before the regional or right after. I think it might have been right before. Jeez, it, uh, it was Coffee Fest in Las Vegas, which was the Mill Rock, the Latte Art Championships. Never been to a Coffee Fest. Dude. Never went. Wild I was style. almost going to go one like this last year when it was supposed to be in L.A. This one was... It was before you had to try out or anything. So I, I signed up and Tony and I went, we drove down there. I was like, I'm going to do this thing, man. We're starting to become a little bit better friends. I was like, dude, he's, I'm going to go, let's go, let's go. And I was like, okay, 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 cool. So we show up there the first day and we're watching people pour and just, I didn't go till the second day. So just kind of getting acclimated to the whole thing. I think this is the first trade show I ever went to. So I was going around booth to booth, getting that Josuma coffee. Yeah, you are. Went to the Visions booth. I was like, oh, my God, these ceramics are awesome. What the fuck is going on? This shit is crazy. Just all kinds of stuff. And at the Zoka booth, I think it was the Zoka booth, Fung, who was the U.S. barista champ at the time, was working there. And I was like, oh, that's Fung Tran. She's like on the cover of the magazines and stuff. Tony's like, let's go. So we like walk up to the booth. Tony introduce himself. Like just says what's up to her. He's like, what's up, Foom? <laughs> like he knows her. That's something. the move, dude. They don't fucking know each other, you know? She's all hi. And he's he's like, You pouring this weekend? She's all, yeah, I am. And he looks at me. He's all, that's my boy Chris over there. He's gonna smoke you. <laughs> And I was like, bro, what? And she looks at me and I'm just like, I, this is not me talking. I'm just here. And he's just like, I was like, bro, you can't do that. He's like, nah, man, you just got to stir the pot a little bit. I'm like, she's a Parisa champion. I'm nobody. I'm just like this dude from Modesto. He's like, it's all good. (laughs) I don't feel like it's all good. (laughs) That's so intense. I was so stressed out. The whole time. I was just tripping. That's actually very funny. It was pretty amazing. And he's going to smoke you. He, I don't My remember what his exact beat words you were. Up. I was like, <laughs> like, like, watch out. This dude's taking you out. And I was like, oh, my up. gosh. And That's then totally I totally blew it because we poured. And back in the day, you poured. I can't remember. It was two or three. They all got judged. And then you picked your favorite pour. Mm. You pick the one that like you and you were going to submit or whatever. Okay. So you had to pour well, and then you had to pick what you thought lined up with a score sheet. And at the time I was pouring these like Bronwyn Serna esque wrap around Rosetta wave yeah. heart things. And I poured one that I thought was like pretty dope. And then I also poured a really just tight, like classic Rosetta. Right. And I was like, shit, I don't know which one to pick. And Tony leans in. I was like, I really like the wavy one because it's different. And he's all, I heard him saying something about, you know, it's it's not symmetrical or whatever. And I was like, oh, shit. Well, I don't want to do that. So I was like, I'm going to pick the Rosetta, the classic. And then, like, the judges just look at me. And they're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Bummer. And then I ended up getting third place or something. And then they came back. They're like, if you would have picked the other one, you would have won. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> you could have been somebody. And that was the moment where I was like, I'm never listening to anybody else ever. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it worked. 
I'm never listening to anybody ever again. <laughs>